Welcome to the podcast of Grace Crossing Church, where life and faith intersect. In week number five, especially for those that are joining us, in this series, Transform, we're focusing on one overarching theme. And that theme is very simple. The resurrection of Jesus Christ changes everything. Absolutely everything changed the moment that Jesus walked out of the tomb. And um, the Bible, the whole of the Bible, all 66 books, point to one central character and one central story. And that began in the Old Testament where it was promised, and then it was delivered to us in the New Testament. And that person, that central character, is Jesus Christ. And that central event is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So in Acts chapter 10, here's what the Bible says. God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power. He went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. We are witnesses of everything he did in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They killed him by hanging him on a cross. But God raised him from the dead on the third day and caused him to be seen. There are two things God did. God raised him, but that wasn't the only thing God did. God also caused him to be seen. And that fact is critical. There were dozens that witnessed the resurrection of Jesus. And there were hundreds that saw him over a 40-day period of time. So the mission of Jesus was not complete at the crucifixion. And the mission of Jesus was not complete even at the resurrection. There was still more to be done. And and what was to be done was that, that, that Jesus had to have some divine encounters and divine appointments with individuals who were going to become the eyewitnesses of the resurrection of Jesus. If that fact had not happened, if there were not dozens that had seen him rise from the dead, if there were not hundreds that experienced him in his bodily resurrection form, we would not be having this conversation this morning. The resurrection of Jesus changed everything, absolutely everything. And the reality is the New Testament church was built upon this one core fact. Everything about the message of the New Testament points to the resurrection of Jesus. The resurrection became the underpinning of the Christian church. And yet there were people that saw Jesus and their senses could not embrace what they saw. There were even people who were followers of him that were fully devoted to him that could not believe their natural senses. They doubted that Jesus was really alive. And so it's no surprise that this idea, even today here in the 21st century, feels like it did to many in the first century, like something that was foreign to them, literally foreign So Paul, when he's preaching in Acts chapter 17, the Bible says, he, the apostle Paul, went to the synagogue for discussions with the Jews and the devout Gentiles and spoke daily in the public square to all who happened to be there. He also had an encounter with some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers. These were Greek individuals who absolutely believed in their own wisdom, and they would go to the streets and they would argue and debate different ideas. Their reaction, the Bible says, when he told them about Jesus and his resurrection, 
was he is a dreamer. He is pushing some foreign religion. Why was the resurrection so critical to the message of the New Testament? Because they declared emphatically what they had experienced and what they wanted us here in the 21st century to experience personally. And that is, without the resurrection, there is no Christianity. There is no Christianity without a living Christ. Everything changes without Jesus' resurrection. Christianity is gutted of its life. It's gutted of its power. And if you extract the resurrection, the Christian faith as we know it collapses. It does not exist. And yet the reality is, Jesus was resurrected. And because of it, here is my prayer for every single one of us in this auditorium this morning. Here's what the Bible says. 2 Corinthians 6, 11 through 13. I cannot tell you how much I long for you to enter this wide open, spacious life. We didn't fence you in. The smallness you feel comes from within you. Your lives aren't small, but you're living them in a small way. I'm speaking as plainly as I can and with great affection. Open up your lives. Live openly and expansively. Jesus Christ was not raised from the dead so that we would think small and so that we would live small. Jesus Christ was was raised from the dead so that we would live large, wide-open, generous, gracious lives filled with the power of that resurrection flowing in our lives. And so we've been talking about what changes our life through the resurrection. And this morning, let me give you this big idea for our talk today. Changing your life occurs when you change the object of your hope. Changing your life occurs when you change the object of your hope. Now, hope is both a noun and it is a verb. Hope is an attitude. It's also an action. Hope is something you feel, but it's also something upon which you focus. It is something that we can experience, and it's also something that we can express. So hope is both a noun, and hope is also a verb. And so I've got two questions for you this morning that I want you to contemplate as we walk through this talk today and you move into this week. And here they are. In what have I placed my hope? In what have I placed my hope? And here's the second question. And perhaps it's more significant. In whom? In whom have I placed my hope? Listen, your answer to those questions changes everything about your life. Have you noticed how little the word hope is used these days? In my lifetime, as I look over my short lifespan, I hear less and less people talk about hope today than they once did. And I believe that many of us here have experienced that in our lifetime, and there's good reason. We have a lot less today to be hopeful for than we once did. 
I mean, people, I think, in general, feel more hopeless today than they even did eight years ago when our current president built, president built his entire campaign on one single word. And what was that word? Hope. Now, here's the reality. Have we become more hopeful in eight years? I mean, most of us have not. Reality is the needle has not really shifted or turned or gone in a positive direction when it comes to hope. And listen to what I'm about to say. It is not because of a failed presidency. It is because of a failed faith. Many of us have put our hope in a political candidate or a political party. We have placed our hope in a political process that will never deliver on its promises. That is the reality. And the moment we place our hope in the wrong object, guess what happens? We are going to find ourselves incredibly disappointed because the President of the United States, our Congress, cannot deliver hope into the human heart. Only God can deliver hope into the human heart. And so as we're in this political journey today and a political season, here's my caution to you. Be careful. Be careful what you make the object of your hope. There is a reason that the Bible dozens and dozens and dozens of time tells us this promise. God is our hope. Because God is the only one who can really deliver on that particular promise of hope. Now here's the reality. We tend to place our faith in things we hope for and vice versa. That's actually what Hebrews chapter 11 says. Verse number one, faith is being sure of what we hope for, being certain of what we do not see. You and I are in good company here this morning because not one of us in this auditorium have seen the resurrection. We're in really good company. None of us saw Jesus Christ alive. And yet for me and for most of us in this auditorium this morning, that has not changed our confidence in the resurrection of Jesus. Let me illustrate it this way. I was not around in 1903 when the Wright brothers successfully completed their first flight. And from the looks of our crowd this morning, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to venture out here and say probably neither were any of you. And yet that has not kept me from placing my hope and my faith in air travel. Every time I board a plane... I'm reminded of something. I'm reminded I am putting my hope in mechanics I did not see, in baggage handlers I did not see, in a pilot that I have no clue is qualified because I was not there when he was tested. I am placing my hope in something that I have not really seen and evidenced with my own senses, and yet I join with hundreds of others that board that flight who have faith in flight. Why? Why do we put our faith in air travel? Because we've experienced it. We've seen it. But we have not seen the beginning of it. The resurrection is very much like that. We have not seen with our physical eyes. Our natural senses have not seen the resurrection. But we have experienced 
the power of it. We have experienced the outflow of it. So many people's lives have been transformed because of the resurrection power of Jesus Christ. So, so, so here, generally speaking, generally speaking, we do not put our hope in things we can't trust or in things that are not reliable, right? I mean, it's foolish to do that. Do you know how many times I have been disappointed when I put my hope in a weather forecast of a local meteorologist? You know how many times I have banked on that weather forecast being correct? How many times I said I will not water my lawn and I watched my lawn brown and die because I trusted the meteorologist? How many times have I planned an event around the fact it's going to be a beautiful day in nine days? And guess what happens in nine days? The weather is completely different. Why? It's just not reliable. It's just not something we can put our trust in. And I've often wondered and said, how is it possible to have a job where you are wrong so often and yet you get your own television program? I don't know how that works, but I'd love to figure it out. Okay? So generally speaking, we don't put our hope in things we can't trust. But the reverse is also true. We don't generally trust in things that we can't hope for. Things that we have no hope will be reliable. If you've ever had a car that continually breaks down, I have. And if you have had a car that has left you stranded more than once, I have. I, I would suggest that you probably don't want to take that vehicle on a long vacation, right? You better make sure your AAA is current. And if you have a relationship with somebody that continually shatters your hopes and dashes your dreams, and you continue to put your trust and confidence in that individual, you are making a colossal mistake. Because the reality is, we do not place our trust and put our trust in things that we just cannot hope for. And when it comes to our relationship with God, the resurrection of Jesus Christ changes everything. Disappointment is simply a symptom and a byproduct of defeated hopes. Can you imagine how the hopes of the disciples was crushed when Jesus Christ died? When Jesus Christ took his last breath, the hope of the disciples also ended. The last heartbeat of Christ was the end of their hope. They no longer could believe and have hope in the dream that they had placed in Christ. But when Jesus Christ walked out of the tomb, the moment his heart started beating again, the moment he, moment he took that first inhale, their hopes also were resurrected. All of a sudden, they could begin to put their hope again in something reliable. Perhaps that's why Peter, who was one of Jesus' closest disciples, calls this hope a living hope. That's what he says. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. 
Can I tell you the difference between a dead hope and a living hope? The difference is the object of your hope. There are so many people that spend the balance of their life putting their hope in things that are dead-end promises, dead-end situations. There are people that put their hope in dead religion. It amazes me how many people will place their hope in something that is not reliable. Every time I hear of a suicide bomber who has this promise of some hope of the future, and that hope is so incredibly ridiculous because there's no, no promise at all to that future. I think about dead religion. I think about people who are putting their hope in dead relationships. And you know those, those kind I'm talking about. Every one of us here have had dead relationships. They are the kind of relationships that constantly leave us empty, dissatisfied, disappointed. I learned a long time ago there are two kinds of relationships in our life. There are energy-producing relationships and energy-consuming relationships. And the more time that we spend investing in energy-consuming relationships, the more dead our relationships become. The more we invest in energy-producing relationships, the more energized our faith becomes. And so if you're in a relationship and all you're getting is someone who's taking, 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 but never giving, be careful. Be careful how much energy you'll place in dead relationships. And there are people that put a lot of hope in dead dreams. Uh, when we got off the plane in Las Vegas uh, a couple of weeks ago, we walked into the world of casinos. And for the next six days, wherever we went, literally there were casinos filled with people. Filled with people living dreams and hoping that those dreams would satisfy them and somehow fulfill them. And what I walked through there watching and experiencing was this. I realized how many people have placed their hope in dead-end dreams. That they are going to be the next millionaire, the next sensation of hitting it big. Peter knew something. Peter knew that a resurrected Christ changes our hope. It changes everything about our future. He, he knew that, that the resurrection turns hopeless people into hopeful people. And it turns hopeless situations into hopeful situations. No one knew that better than Peter. And so Peter wraps up his thoughts here in verse 21 and says, Through Christ, you have come to trust in God, and you have placed your faith and hope in God because he raised Christ from the dead and gave him great glory. I don't know if you've recognized over these last five weeks just how packed the New Testament is with the reminder that it's the resurrection, it's the life that flowed in Jesus that causes life to flow into our hearts and turn dead hearts alive and dead faith back to life. It is Jesus Christ and the resurrection that brings us hope. Now there are two stories that I want to share with you to illustrate what we're talking about this morning. One of the stories actually is found in the very first book of the Bible, and it's a story of Abraham that is retold by, by Paul the Apostle in the Reader's Digest, the condensed Reader's Digest version in the book of Romans. It's an amazing story. And it's a story that's all about hope. 
Here's what it says in Romans chapter 4. Let's read the passage in its entirety. And then we'll come back and we're going to unpack this a little. Against all hope, Abraham, in hope, believed. And so became the father of many nations. Just as it, as, it, as it had been said to him, so shall your offspring be. Without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old and that Sarah's womb was also dead. Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but he strengthened, he was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had power to do what he had promised. This is why it was credited to him as righteousness. Now there's lots going on here. So let me just unpack this a little bit for us. The very first verse, verse 18 says, against all hope, Abraham in hope believed. Here's what that means. Abraham continued to have faith even when everything that he saw looked hopeless. Even though he was in the midst of a situation that was not filled or promised him and offered him no hope, he continued against all hope to believe, to have hope. Verse 19, without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead. Let me just say this this morning. Hope does not deny current reality. Hope does not ignore the cold, hard facts. But what hope does is hope actually begins to look at those circumstances through a different pair of eyes, a different lens, a different grid. And it is the resurrection that changes everything about the way that we begin to look at our circumstances. Without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead. Verse 20. Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God. Let me say this this morning. God never breaks his promises. The promises of God can be trusted. We cannot say that for every human being. And sometimes we put more confidence and more hope in the promises of people than we do in the promises of God. There are people that are going to disappoint you. They're going to let you down miserably. Some of them are seated next to you this morning. There are times in very close relationships that those closest to us can disappoint us, can break their promises. I've been guilty of it to my wife and my family. But the reality is God wants us to not place our faith and our hope in a human being. God wants our hope to be placed in him alone. And so it goes on, verses 20 and 21. He, Abraham, was strengthened in his faith and he gave glory to God being fully persuaded that God had power to do what he had promised. This is really powerful. I don't want you to miss this. 
Abraham gave glory to God. The idea is that he gave credit to God. And when did he give God credit? Before the hope of the promise was ever fulfilled. I think that's a great working definition for faith. Faith is giving God credit before the promise even comes to pass. Faith is giving God credit when the situation that you are believing for has still not occurred, and yet you're placing your hope and your confidence in God alone. Why? Why can we do that? Because Jesus was raised from the dead. And if Jesus was raised from the dead, then surely God is going to deliver on every single one of his promises. He placed his confidence in the fact that God had the power to do it. Watch this. Not every person that makes a promise to you has the power or the character to fulfill it. God does. And God will. Every single promise that God makes to us, God will also fulfill. That's why Hebrews says this. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 18, God has given us both his promise and his oath. God has not just said it, he swore to it. And he sealed it by his own blood. These two things are unchangeable because it is impossible for God to lie. Therefore, we who have fled to him for refuge can have great confidence as we hold to the hope that lies before us. Now, here's the reality. God never lies. God never breaks his promise. But the other side of that is that not every promise is for us. There are hundreds and hundreds of promises in the Bible. Some of those are for all of us that sit here this morning. But there are some promises that God gave for a particular reason and for a particular season, and it is not for us to claim those promises as our own. Listen, I am not bold enough in my faith, nor do I want have a hope for this. I don't want Abraham's promise. I don't want a child when I'm 100 years old, okay? That is not what I'm believing God for and I'm hoping for. That was a promise that was for a specific reason and a specific season. But there are so many promises of the Bible that are for all of us. And God says, those promises, I want you to, to, to just latch on to. I want you to hitch your faith to those promises and know that I am going to bring hope to your heart through the promises because of the resurrection. Now, here's how Paul wraps this all up. In in Romans chapter 4, he says, The words it was credited to him were written not for him alone, but also for us, to whom God will credit righteousness. For us who believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead, he was delivered over to death for our sins, and he was raised to life for our justification. So so here's the deal. The, The entire story I just told you, Here's what this verse says. That was not as much about Abraham as it is about every one of us that sit here today. The promise of hope is about every single one of us. It was not just about what God was saying specifically to Abraham. It was the larger context and narrative that God was saying to every one of us. 
that every one of us that will place our faith and trust in God's promise, just like Abraham did, it will be credited to us as righteousness. You see, God put faith in Abraham, but, but Abraham had to put faith in God. And every time we put our faith in the promises that God makes, we all of a sudden watch hope come alive. One final story before we close this morning. I want to read it to you from Romans chapter 8. It says, We believers also groan, even though we have the Holy Spirit within us as a foretaste of future glory. For we long for our bodies to be released from sin and suffering. We too wait with eager hope for the day when God will give us our full rights as his adopted children, including the new bodies that he has promised to us. We were given this hope when we were saved. If we already have something, we don't need to hope for it. But if we look forward to something we don't yet have, we must wait patiently and confidently. Let's go back to the previous uh, slide. We too wait with eager hope for the day that God will give us our full rights as his adopted children. Many of you here that are part of our family at Grace Crossing Church know that just a couple of months ago, after a long journey of prayer and discerning the will of God, a family in our church, uh, Nathan and Amanda Warden, traveled all the way to China to uh, take their brand new adopted daughter as their own child. They brought Joanna home, and it's been now about two months this last week that Joanna joined the Warden family as their adopted daughter. I think we have some pictures this morning of their beautiful family. Here's what I love about what this verse promises. It says, we eagerly wait in hope till we can begin to enjoy the full rights as God's adopted children. Here's the deal this morning. Every single one of us were adopted into God's family. We are adopted sons and we are adopted daughters. And that's profound. Because it means that God selected us. It means that God chose us. It doesn't mean that we just simply came along. It means that God went searching for us. To find us as his son. As his daughter. And two months into the journey, I communicated with Nathan and Amanda recently, and two months into the journey, Joanna has not yet had the enjoyment of the full rights of being a warden. But watch this, the process has begun. The adoption journey has taken place. She has now come to her new home. She is getting used to her new normal. But it will only be through the months and the years that lie ahead that Joanna will fully be able to step into the reality that she's a warden and everything it means 
to be a warden. All the benefits, all the joys, all the, all the blessings that come along with being part of that family will be realized in the days that are yet to come. But the journey has started. I want to read to you uh, an excerpt from a, a question that I asked them. And they sent me their response. Here was the question. How did hope play a role in your adoption? They said hope was everything. As we began, the hope was for our family and for some unknown child who may or may not even be born. And the hope was an idea, not yet completely formed because of the enormous uncertainty. This hope is not too different in reality to the hope that an expectant mother and father experience while waiting for their child to develop in the mother's womb. The only real difference between the ideas behind the hope were the assumptions and the expectations behind the hope. As the process developed, and especially when we began to receive information about our daughter, the various pictures of her, both recent and from the time when she was first brought into orphan care, we started to focus our hope towards our daughter. The expectations and assumptions changed, sometimes quite dramatically. A fear of losing our daughter to the process of adoption developed. That is, there was some chance, drawn out over many months, that we would fail to complete the adoption successfully. In this new fear, which is the breeding grounds for hope, a new hope developed. In many ways, this hope was understood as an intense desire to have our daughter home with us and to have our hope realized. It's difficult to explain the intense desire and longing associated with such a hope as the compassion to birth parents isn't a clear one. We experienced both the loss of a failed pregnancy and the fear and panic of nearly losing a premature child in the labor and delivery room. And I think that it might be possible to compare our hope throughout this process to the hope that is experienced during pregnancy. Perhaps one could imagine it as the hope that conquers the fear of a high-risk pregnancy where the life of the unborn child is at significant risk for much of the gestation period. If we lost our daughter in the process of adoption, we felt as though this would be no different than the loss of a child during a difficult pregnancy. What a beautiful story. And what a beautiful illustration for us here this morning about we as God's adopted sons and God's adopted daughters. There was a day when you weren't thinking about God. You were far from him. God was thinking about you. God already had his eye on you. God was longing for relationship with you. And God was anticipating the day that you would become part of his family, that you would say yes to him and say, I want to be a part of your family. I, I want to be included in your family. When Joanna was not even hopeful that there was anyone out there that was coming for her, there were already parents here in America that had their eyes and their hopes set on where? China. To go and find their daughter. Here's what I want you to hear this morning. You may today have no hope in God, but God already has hope in you. 
You may have no hope for your future, but God already has hope for your future. God has more hope about your life than what you can even realize today. And that hope is guaranteed. The hope that you are placing in your future as the full rights as adopted sons and daughters is guaranteed through one thing, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It makes everything possible. It changes everything about our hope and it changes everything about our faith. Thanks for listening. To learn more about Grace Crossing Church, including service times and directions, check us out on the web at www.gracecrossingchurch.net. We hope to see you at one of our upcoming weekend worship gatherings. Have a great day.